Welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad to have you with us at Ashley Park today. Uh, I'm really glad you came because this is the beginning of a brand new series. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different series for us, this Jesus is Greater Than series. One reason it's different is because it's going to be a little bit longer. This is going to be an 11-week series between now and Easter, and Easter is the middle of April. And what we're going to be doing in this series is also a little different. We're going to be following the ministry of Jesus from the moment he steps on the pages of history uh, with his adult ministry through his crucifixion and then his ultimate resurrection when all of human history changes. And I don't say that in any kind of pompous way. It just literally is a fact that all historians note that the world changed at that moment uh, for good or bad, depending on how you look at it. But we think for the better. And I hope in this series what you're going to see is that Jesus came into the world to bring something completely different. He was going to change everything. And I hope in this series it's going to clear up some of the confusion that some of you have about the church and about Christianity because at the center of Christianity is this person, Jesus. He is the central focus of Christianity. And often a lot of what Christianity has come to be known about, it, it loses its focus because it's not focused on him. And what you're going to see is that Jesus wasn't coming to add on to something. He literally is bringing something so different that even though the people in his day knew to be looking for a person from God who was coming to be the Messiah, that Jesus was so completely different, they missed him. And I think a lot of us miss what Jesus is trying to do even in our day today, even though many of us have been in the church for a long time. So in this series, we're going to start where the writers of the Bible accounts of Jesus' life start, and it's not with his birth, which we just celebrated at Christmas. They start with a person in his family, a cousin of his, a man named John. And you might have heard of John. He's known as John the Baptist, and not because he wasn't Methodist or Catholic, but because John literally was baptizing people. And one of the things the scholars note about him that made it so unusual enough that he got that moniker attached to him is the fact that John is physically baptizing people. It's not that baptism was unheard of. People were being baptized all the, or, or were being baptized all the time. But the difference with John is John was the one doing it. See, a lot of Jews were baptized. It was a part of their religious ceremonies for vows that they would take and other things. And particularly, like if you were a Gentile who had been around Judaism and you wanted to convert and make that your way to worship God, then baptism was a part of that. There was a meal, there were some things you had to memorize, and then there was this thing called baptism. And there were these mikvahs, which I have a, a picture of that for you at uh, ashleyparkchurch.com in the sermon notes. If you haven't gone there already, make sure you go there and note that. There's going to be some interesting stuff there during this series. But there were these mikvahs all over the place, but the deal with baptism for them was people baptized themselves as a part of the vow. But here's John, and he's different in that people aren't baptizing themselves. He's baptizing them. And there's the reason he's baptizing them. He's doing it for the repentance of sin. So John is doing this thing, and so he gets this nickname, uh, John the Baptizer. And literally, he's just dipping them in water, which is what the word baptism means. And so the four accounts of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which we call the Gospels, and the reason they're called Gospels is because they're giving the good news about Jesus to the world. So these four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all start with this guy named John. And Luke, 
uh, begins his account with, with this little thing saying, I've researched all of this, and I like this phrase, I want to tell you about the events that have happened among us. So I want to just make clear to you, starting this out, that uh, Luke thought he was writing history. And you may have heard in some college class, or maybe you heard on the Internet, or you saw it on YouTube, or maybe even in a church uh, I've heard people say that, uh, these are gospels are really just religious allegories. They're not meant to be history. But I'll say this: Luke sure thought he was writing history because he says there eyewitnesses, and I tried to research all of this, and I wrote it down. He might not be writing history; that might be your opinion. But he thought he was writing history. In fact, he starts in such a way that it's clear it's in line with all the histories of their day, the Roman histories. He says. Here's how he starts the story of John in the story of Jesus. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he's the emperor, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, Herod's brother Philip, the tetrarch of Atunia and Traconius, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, even in just hearing me mangle those words, a lot of you go, yeah, those are the parts of the Bible that I just sort of fly over because even Christians uh, in our day, in the Western world particularly, we read the Bible and we just go past those parts thinking, I want to get to the good stuff, which we mean the stuff that applies to me because the Bible must be about me like everything else is about me. But Luke would have said to you, hey, that is the good stuff because what I'm trying to make clear to you is I'm not starting this story by saying a long time ago, far away, or in a country nearby here someday a, a while back. He's going, I'm telling you the place and the time so you can date this. Luke is basically saying to people, hey, check, check me on this. Check the facts on this because I am writing you history. So he says, I, I want you to know this really took place. And then he goes on and says, at that time, the word of the Lord of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then Matthew, one of the other gospel writers, says, And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Now, the good news writers, they, they want you to know. They investigated this, and then they began to write the good news of Jesus. And they want you to know that in starting this whole account with this man named John, that this whole movement of Jesus that they're writing about, it didn't start with a few crazy people sitting somewhere off in the wilderness all by themselves. They want you to know that the whole capital city of Jerusalem and the whole area of Judea, they've all heard about it, and they're flocking to John. So again, just to put it in our context, thousands of people in Atlanta hear about this thing and that whole area of Fulton County and DeKalb County they come flocking out to a little place they never heard of like Zatella because something's happening out in Zatella now the first thing for many of them they'd have to go what's a Zatella where where's Zatella and then they find it and they realize particularly in this day in the ancient time that's not an easy trip so here are these people from the capital city. They see themselves as, you know, they're a little better than people out in the country, and they hear about this thing in the country, and it's so important to them that they travel. They'd have to get up way before sunrise. They'd travel till about sunset, and then they'd get there and camp and hope the next day they can find this guy they've heard about. Now, I want to try to give you some context of why this guy talking out in the middle of the wilderness would even matter to somebody. So, 
At this particular time in history, for about a hundred years or so, there were these would-be messiahs that would rise up. Rome had come and taken over the country, and the Jewish people had this heritage of talk that God was sending a messiah to deliver them and that he would kick the oppressors out of the land. That's what they believed. And so all, all along the way for this period of time, there'd be these would-be messiahs that would rise up, and they would begin this kind of revolt, and it was always a bloody thing because when you got any problem for Rome, Rome just put it down with the sword. I mean, they just, they just killed people. Well, here's this guy out in the wilderness. He's causing enough a stir that people are leaving the capital city where Pontius Pilate's place is, and everybody's hearing about it. And in addition to that, he's not just talking about, you know, he's the Messiah, uh, they think. He, he's baptizing people for the repentance of sin. That's not just a problem for the Romans. That's a problem for the Jewish leaders because up until this point, they had a whole system for how to do forgiveness of sins. I mean, if you're in Jerusalem and you had sins you want to confess, then you went to the temple, you confessed it to a priest, you'd agreed upon the sacrifice, it was in the law, you'd bring whatever you needed to sacrifice and done deal, your sins are done. If you live out of the country somewhere, then you go to the synagogue, you find somebody in authority, you'd confess to them what's happening, you all both agree on what you got to do, and this whole sin thing's is done but now there's this guy out in the middle of nowhere he's preaching he's baptizing people and baptism at that point had been something that it had to be authorized i mean it had to be a part of a religious vow kind of thing and this guy has no authority he's got nobody backing him he hasn't been trained he has no education he's just this wild-eyed crazy preacher out talking in the middle of play, the, the desert and he's baptizing people and so they're worried about rome and they're worried about their system they want to go hear what he's doing. So people come out. Well, the four gospel writers want us to know that, that he came, they say, to be a witness. That's the only reason John is on the scene. They tell us that he came to be a witness to Jesus. He came as a witness. John, a different John, literally tells us in his writing, he came to be a witness to the light. Now again, I know that gets a little confusing, but there's John, who eventually becomes a disciple of Jesus, who writes this gospel book, he's not John the baptizer. He's John who follows Jesus, but before he followed Jesus, he actually followed John around. And when he's trying to write down years later this account of Jesus, who to him, he's a real person. Jesus was his friend. Jesus he had spent three years with. Jesus, who he said, I'm the disciple that he loved. When he's trying to tell about Jesus, he has to tell about John, and he's trying to describe it all, and he says, Jesus was like, and he uses images, he says he was like a light. He was just different. He, he, he like brought light into the world. And John, well, he was like a witness to the light. He was telling, pointing people to the light. He was showing people that there was a light. He says to them, he's the one that never claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, John specifically said that he wasn't. He's the one that John says, this is the one I spoke about when I said to you, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. To which everybody said, what? He said, yeah, wait a minute, John, slow down. Say that again. He said, you know, he who comes after me, like he's not here yet. I'm the big deal. I'm out here. Everybody's coming to me. You haven't even seen him yet. He who's going to come after me is more important than me because he was before me. And they're like, yeah, you explained it. I still don't get it. Say it one more time. And he's like, well, 
even though I'm the big deal, he's really a bigger deal than me, even though you don't know how he, who he was, and even though I'm older than him because uh, I physically was born before him, he was around before me. It's his kind of cloaked way of saying, hey, he's God. He's the one. He's God himself. Come. And then the writer John, not John the Baptist, wants to explain to us what John is talking about. And this is going to be the big change that Jesus brought. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Now, in the context of this, all the people reading it are reading, yeah, we know Moses and the law. I mean, the law was the deal to them. The law was like the whole thing to them. I mean, the law was their connection to being the people of God and the chosen people of God and the nation of God. They were the nation of Israel because they were the people of the law. They kept the law. People gave their life for the law. I mean, their heroes that they looked up to were people who had laid down their life to protect the law of God. It's like we hear about people and we go, hey, they died to protect our freedom. We need to honor them because they died for our freedom. The law to them and Moses to them, the lawgiver, it was, it was like their founding father. And protecting the law is like protecting the flag. So he says, so the law came through Moses, and they go, that's right. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And John's writing it to mean it as a contrast. There was Moses and the law, and then there was Jesus, and he brought truth and grace. It's the contrast between those two. It's not an and. It's a contrast. So all of this is happening, and it's causing quite a stir, and people are coming from all over the region to see it, and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem go, hey, we've got to find out what that's about. So they send down some of the younger uh, priests, some of the young guys that work in the temple. I mean, the older guys could have gone, but you know they don't want to act like it's too big a deal, so they send the young guys down, and it's sort of like, you know, everybody was coming to us to, to get our, their sins confessed and forgiven, and now we've lost business. It's like when a new restaurant moves into Coweta County, and everybody goes to the new restaurant, and it's like the old restaurant owners go, hey, go down there and see what that's about. Well, the young priests go out there, and they're, they're going to go out, and they're going to find out what John's about, and they're going to check it out, and they're going to come back and report to the old guys. They're going to come down, they're going to watch him baptizing people, and then they're going to confront him and say, hey... Who gave you the authority to do this? By, by whose name do you do this kind of thing? Are, are you another of these wannabe messiahs that we're going to have problems with? And so John sees them coming. These young priests are coming toward them. And before he confront, can confront them, he says to them, I'm not the messiah, dunk. They go, well, if you're not the messiah, then are you Elijah? And the reason they ask him if he's Elijah or not is because in the very last book of the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish scriptures, Malachi, there's this prophecy that before God does the next big thing, before the Messiah comes, there will be a prophet in the spirit of Elijah that's going to come. And so people had come to believe that what was going to happen is Elijah was going to be reincarnated, and he was going to come and announce the coming of Messiah. So John says, I'm not the Messiah they go, well, then are you Elijah? And he goes, I'm not Elijah, dunk. They go, well, are you the prophet? And they're like, this prophet thing has to do with they'd taken these words from Moses who said, in later days there will become a prophet greater than me. 
And they had taken that to mean, again, before the Messiah comes, before this big thing God's going to do that changes the world, uh, this prophet is going to come. And he goes, I'm not the prophet either. And then they're like, well, well, who are you? What do you say about yourself? And we got to go back and tell our bosses something. We can't go back and say, hey, we know who he's not. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. Who are you? And so John gives them a quote. And he does, he quotes to them in like the way the priests would talk to each other. They talk to each other in scripture and they, you'd have to know the scripture to get the answer. So he says to them from the prophet Isaiah, I'm not the guy, I'm just a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, hey, you guys know what that prophecy means. It means get ready. God's about to do something. And you need to repent and people that repent and confess their sins, they're not going to miss out on what God's going to do because their heart's going to be clean before. And so you need to get ready and you need to repent. I'm, I'm not the guy. I'm just making a way for the guy to come because times, they're changing, guys. That's why I'm out here baptizing. Well, those young guys go back to the big bosses and they say, look, we know this isn't what you want to hear, but we do know who he isn't. He isn't Elijah. He's not the Messiah and he's not the prophet. And when we question him more about it, he just said, hey, I'm the voice of one, you know, the prophecy in Isaiah. I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. And then when we asked him what that meant, he said, look, one's coming that I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. He's the deal. I ain't nothing. Well, the big bosses hear all of this and they go, you guys are useless. We're going to have to go down there ourselves. We're going to have to figure this out. Now, I just want you to try to get the significance of this when these guys decide to leave Jerusalem. Imagine that the Pope, but you've got to imagine, you know, how the Pope is sort of, you know, it's hard to get an audience and nobody ever really gets close to him. You see him from a distance. Well, imagine there are multiple Popes. So these high priests, these priests, that, the old guys, who they, they're the ones that comment on the law. They, they're, the, they're the figureheads. They're the whole deal of this whole little nation. They decide we're going to leave where we normally are. We're normally at the temple. We're normally confined. We're away from people. People look at us, but they don't really touch us. We're going to leave, and we're going to go see what's going on out here in the wilderness. So when they take off, I mean, they're like a whole entourage. There's like this caravan coming, and people know they're coming before they get there. It's sort of like when, you know, the president travels anywhere. There's, everything shuts down, and people clear out, and people that are trying to listen to John, they're looking over their shoulder because they know they're coming at some point. And so as they get close, they're going to come, and they're going to they're confront John face to face. Well, John, they see him when he gets there, and there he is. He's probably standing in the water, and he's, you know, got wild hair, and he's got stuff in his hair, and he's got a hobo beard, and he's got, it smells like the skins that he's wearing. And before they can say anything to him, he, it says, he saw many, not a few, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and to get what they're talking about, these are two political parties of priests, like Republicans and Democrats, they can't agree on anything, but they agree they're going to go confront this guy. They come together. He sees many of them coming, and he says, hey, you brood of vipers. Well, a hush falls over the crowd. I mean, that's not the way you talk to the high priest. Hey, brood of snakes. Hey, thanks for coming out. I mean, these are supposedly the most holy people in their country. These are the best good people that anybody's know. They're better at being good than anybody. And he says to them, you brood of snakes, who warned you of the coming wrath? Hey, something's coming, guys. 
God's about to change everything. The whole system is about to be blown up. Who told you about it? You need to prove that you have repent by the way you live. One of the translations, I love this, this is the way I learned it. It says, you need to produce fruit that shows repentance. He says, look, hey, something's coming. Who told you it was coming? God's about to do something, and you need to repent like everybody else. And don't tell me about some prayer you prayed in your heart. Don't tell me about something you believe about something in your heart. Don't tell me about an arrangement you've got with God. I need to see evidence. I need to see that something's changed in you. Well, the guys just leave. <laughs> I mean, they just turn and leave. See, here's the problem that he confronts them with that you're going to see throughout this whole Jesus is greater than series. John is saying to them, and he's saying to you and me and everyone, hey, there's a heads up coming. The days of you believing that religion is about something private between you and God and it's a personal kind of thing and you can have this religion where you know all the rules and you sing all the songs and you know all the verses and outwardly everybody thinks you are okay so you can live like hell. Like you pray a prayer, you do a deal, but you just keep living any way you want to. I mean, you know, the kind of people that go walk around and go, I love God so much, but I hate everybody else kind of people that you know that you look at and you go if they're Christian I don't want anything to do with it he goes look that kind of religion it's coming to an end boys the times are changing there's somebody coming that's putting an end to all of that stuff the days of you religious leaders walking around like you're better than everybody else but you're secretly getting rich off of what everybody's given to the temple who warned you brood of snakes of what's coming I need to see some change they came down to question him, and before they could get a word out of their mouth, I mean, it's a really short conversation. The whole care fine turned around, and they just leave. And, and then it happened. And then the moment that changed everything, that nobody knew changed anything at the moment, but the moment that all of history, it changes at this moment. And notice this detail. This all happened at Bethany. It's outside of Jerusalem. Later in the story of Jesus, we're going to see the significance of that place. But the next day, and the idea is the day after they left, the day after they came out, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So here's Jesus. No entourage, no followers at this time. Nobody with him, just Jesus coming toward him. And this is the turning point. This is the transition. This is where everything focuses. This is the moment that everything becomes clear. Here's Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, steps into the history of the world. God in a body is now finally on the stage. In fact, regardless of whether you're a, a religious person or not, here's what's undeniable. In this moment, when Jesus comes forward, some things come out of the box that nobody's ever been able to put back in the box. And it began to change the world, and it all starts right here with the name of Jesus. And this is the moment it all begins. And all eyes when are on Jesus as he walks because John says, look. He points and he says to them, hey, look, look over there. Look, I invite you, look. And everybody looks, look, the Lamb of God. And I'll just tell you, the significance for the people in that audience, it, 
Again, using this imagery of all the stuff they knew about the Old Testament scriptures, the Lamb of God had brought them back to the moment when God would finally say, hey, we're going to be different. We're not going to do child sacrifice by everybody else where Abraham takes his son to sacrifice to God. And in the moment when he's about to sacrifice his son, God says to him, hey, Abraham, look up. And there's a lamb caught in bushes. He goes, there's the Lamb of God. He take, that'll use that to sacrifice. Now John looks at Jesus and he goes, look, it's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins, not of the nation of Israel, not of the people of God, not of people who follow the law. He takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, though they didn't know it, something got unleashed that would change the world. This religion that had been all about the, the law of God and the people of God John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and all the categories they had about who God cared about and who God loved and who could be in and who could be out and what you had to do to make God happy, all their categories get blown because he says, this Lamb is going to take away the sin of everybody in the world. This is different. This isn't about just us. This is about everybody. And in that moment, the tension gets created when Jesus steps onto the page of the history. And in some ways, in some ways, and I hope Jason and Nathan and I are able to help you see this, this tension gets created that continues to create conflict in some ways, even in our world today. Because maybe nobody ever told you this, but Jesus didn't come into the world. Jesus came into the world to be not the bridge between two covenants, between the law of God and the truth and grace of God. God had promised a long time ago that somehow it gotten overlooked that he would bless the Jewish people and they would be a light to all nations. But over time, that part of the promise had been, hey, if you want to be with us, you've got to come be like us. You've got to come join with us. And you've got to do everything like us. And then eventually it just came back like, hey, you weren't born to be with us, so you aren't a part of us. We are the ones that God likes. And we're the only ones that God's like. But through the years... They just lost sight of God's plan that God had always been for the whole world. But have you found out in your life that transitions are hard? This is a big transition that's about to take place in the history of the world. And the people in transitions that generally don't want to let go of it, the people that are always profited from the way things always used to be. And even though God had established the law, and even though God had made the sacrificial system, Jesus showed up. When he got here, it was totally corrupt. And even though he had, Jesus came to a world that God had created where there was a sacrificial system with the priest in place, the system by which it ran at that point had become so corrupt and so intertwined with the Roman system that it was eventually that system that would ultimately crucify Jesus that we'll see in a few weeks. But ultimately, this moment, it begins to strike the death blow when Jesus is crucified. It's the death blow to that old system because Jesus, he came to do a whole new thing. And this is what I'm hoping we can see in this series. When we get to Easter that we'll all get really clear to us that he came to establish a brand new covenant, a brand new way between God and man, a brand new covenant between God and you, a way that you and I can relate to God. And here's the part that some of us struggle with, and some of us really, really struggle with this part of us. He came to replace 
the value system and the teaching of everything between Exodus and Malachi in the Bible, he came to totally, not just to fulfill it, he totally came to replace it with what was new. I mean, he's like this butterfly that, I mean, the Old Testament was like this butterfly that goes into its cocoon and out of it, it comes this, I mean, or this, this caterpillar that comes, goes into a cocoon and out of that cocoon comes the butterfly. But when he comes out, the butterfly, it's not the caterpillar anymore. It's something totally different. And the old is totally done away with. That's the struggle that so many people in our culture deal with. Some of us have grown up, frankly, in a, in a version of Christianity that's a little bit of old and a little bit of new and a little bit of the law and a little bit of grace and a little bit of what God said back there and a little bit of what Jesus said here. But the New Testament and the Old Testament, you think, you read them both. And I've had people say to me, how do you put what happened in the Old Testament together with what Jesus did in the New Testament? Here's what I want to say to you and what I hope you'll see in this series. Jesus came to fulfill totally the Old Testament and to totally replace it. And so when he died, he said, that is done. It is finished. The old is gone and the new has totally come. In fact, some of you, it was the churches you grew up in. It was the version of Christianity you saw that was a little bit of mixture of this and a little bit of that and they tried to get you to hold the law, but they told you about grace. It was a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you walked away from it. And as I've always said to people, if you walked away from Christianity for anything other than Jesus, you walked away unnecessarily. Because at the heart of Christianity is not anything other than a man. It's Jesus. And he's greater than everything. And he came to replace everything that was between you and God. And the other thing that Jesus came to introduce was, and you've been around CCC for any length of time, you've heard us say this, he came to give us a new command. Not the law that, of Moses, but a brand new command. And we're going to try to make this so incredibly clear in this series. But this really was a problem in their day, and I find it's still a problem for so many in our day. Jesus just kept putting it, he just kept saying to them, I'm not doing a new thing with Moses. He would say to them, look, there was a Moses thing. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said. And every time he'd say, you heard it said, he'd quote something from Moses. And they go, hey, you keep saying, you've heard it said, and you're quoting Moses. And then you say, but I say. And it's like, you think you're on a level with Moses. Like, who are you? Jesus says, hey, all of this can be summed up with this. These two commands. Love God and love, love the people. God's put around you. And we'll talk about that. And then as I've said to you many times, he gets to the end of his life and he takes even those two and he says, it's just this, you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must love one another. So John sees Jesus and Jesus sees John and John says, look, it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus says to him, John, I need to be baptized by you. And John goes, are you crazy? I just told these people I'm not fit to untie your sandals. I'm, I'm not baptizing you. You're, you're the lamb of God, the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus looked him in the eye, and I think with a smile goes, John, we have to do this. This, this is the way this whole thing, this is the way God's right way of living is going to get started. And so John and Jesus went down in the water, and Jesus 
was baptized. And that's how the story of Jesus gets launched into the world. God's promise to mankind is all going to be fulfilled through a man who came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. My sin, your sin, the sin of every single person on this planet. Because Jesus, he's greater than everything. Everything you've ever done, everything that you've done right, everything you've done wrong, Jesus is greater than everything. But before we get to that in the next few weeks, well, Jesus has sermons to teach and people to see, and he's got pe diseases to heal, and he's got places to go, and we're going to see it all over the weeks to come. But between now and then, Jesus did this all just so you know it, so people can know with certainty. What I know with certainty and what I hope by the end of this you know with certainty, God's up to something in our world. And he's invited you to be a part of what he's up to in this world. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. And Jesus is greater than everything. If you'll stand right now, I'll pray. Then we'll be dismissed. God, I'm so thankful for your son who's come into the world to make it clear there's an open door, an open way to you, and he's the door, he's the way. So, Father, I pray that you'll do what I can't do, what we can't do when we stand to teach, that by your Spirit you'll speak to every person what they need to hear. And just like you promised that if we would lift you up, you would draw people to yourselves. Help us to see you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.